Hi, welcome to part one of This Week in Tudor History for the week beginning the 5th of April. I'll be talking about a new king's journey from Scotland to London, an earl who avoided the awful fates of his father and brother, a king who died after hitting his head on a lintel, and a Viscountess whose properties were safe houses for Catholics. Starting with the 5th of April. On the 5th of April, 1603, 12 days after the death of Queen Elizabeth I, King James VI of Scotland left Edinburgh bound for London. He was now King of Ireland and England, as well as being King of Scotland. And of course, he was King James I of Ireland and England. 37-year-old James, who was the son of Mary, Queen of Scots, and her second husband, Henry Stuart, Lord Darnley, had received news of Elizabeth's death late on the 26th of March, when an exhausted Sir Robert Carey had arrived at Holyrood. James had been in bed, but Carey was escorted to his chamber, where he knelt by him and, as Carey recorded, saluted him by his title of England, Scotland, France and Ireland. In reply, James said, I know you have lost a near kinswoman and a loving mistress, but take here my hand. I will be as good a master to you and will requite this service with honour and reward. James and his Queen Consort, Anne of Denmark, then prepared for their journey south, borrowing 10,000 Scottish marks for their expenses. They left Edinburgh on the 5th of April, 1603, with James assuring the Scottish people that he would return in three years' time. The next day, the royal party reached the English border town of Berwick, where he was met at Lamberton by the Lord Governor of the town, who was accompanied by a party from the garrison on horseback. By the 11th of April, the royal party had reached Newcastle, from where James wrote a letter to Sir Robert Cecil, informing him, among other things, that he was planning to spend Easter at York with Robert's brother, Thomas Cecil, Lord Burley. On the 15th of April, Sir Robert Cecil reported to the Royal Council that James has been detained on his journey towards York by his fat horses failing him. I love that. He eventually arrived in time for Easter, with Easter Sunday being the 24th of April that year, and spent four days in the city. On the 29th of April, he reached Godmanchester, where, according to Godmanchester Museum, he was greeted by 70 teams of horses and their new ploughs, an ancient custom whenever a king visited the town. The royal party finally reached London in May 1603. Historian Pauline Croft, author of King James, wrote that James's journey from Edinburgh to London became a triumphant progress, with James feasting and indulging his passion for hunting. He thought he was witnessing an outpouring of spontaneous affection, but the overwhelming public emotion was relief at the peaceful succession, mixed with natural curiosity. On his arrival in London, James chose to stay at the Tower of London. And as the Historic Royal Palace's website points out, he was the last monarch to stay at the Tower. And his enjoyment of cruel animal displays there led to him having the lion's den refurbished. James was crowned king on the 25th of July at Westminster Abbey 
and he ruled as James I until his death on the 27th of March, 1625. By the way, although he'd promised the Scots that he'd be back in three years' time, he didn't return until 14 years later in 1617, and he only visited them that one time. Moving on to the 6th of April. On the 6th of April, 1523, in the reign of King Henry VIII, nobleman and courtier Henry Stafford, Earl of Wiltshire, died at the age of about 44. He died without issue, so his earldom became extinct until 1529, when Thomas Boleyn, father of Anne Boleyn, was made Earl of Wiltshire. Here are a few facts about Henry Stafford. Stafford was the second son of Henry Stafford, second Duke of Buckingham, and his wife, Catherine Woodville. Stafford's mother was the daughter of Richard Woodville, Earl Rivers, and his wife, Jaquetta of Luxembourg. And his father, the Duke of Buckingham, was executed on the 2nd of November 1483 without trial after leading a rebellion, Buckingham's Rebellion, against King Richard III. In 1485, following the accession of King Henry VII, Stafford and his old brother Edward, 3rd Duke of Buckingham, were made wards of Lady Margaret Beaufort, the King's mother. Stafford went on to work for his brother as a counsellor and manager of his estates. In around 1504-1505, Stafford married Cicely or Cecily Gray, widow of Thomas Gray, Marquess of Dorset, and daughter and heir of William Bonville, Lord Harrington. She was 19 years his senior and had 15 children from her first marriage, but it was a good match for Stafford because she was wealthy and he'd been financially dependent on his older brother. In April 1505, he became a Knight of the Garter. Following the death of Henry VII and the accession of Henry VIII in April 1509, Stafford was temporarily imprisoned in the Tower of London, accused of treason, but probably because of his brother's claim to the throne, his Plantagenet blood. Following his release, Stafford was made Earl of Wiltshire in January 1510 and became one of the young king's favourites. In 1513, he accompanied the king on his French campaign and also accompanied him to the 1520 Field of Cloth of Gold meeting with King Francis I, by which time he'd been appointed to the Privy Council. On the 17th of May 1521, Stafford's brother, the Duke of Buckingham, was executed as a traitor. But Stafford was able to retain the king's favour and served him again in France in 1522. He died a natural death on the 6th of April 1523. Moving on to the 7th of April, and I'm taking you back to the reign of King Henry VII, but to something that happened over the Channel in France. On the 7th of April, 1498, King Charles VIII of France, also known as Charles the Affable, died after hitting his head on a lintel at the Chateau d'Amboise while on his way to watch a tennis match. He made it to the match, but after the game, he was taken ill, slipped into a coma and died. He'd been king since 1483. Charles died without issue, so he was succeeded by 35-year-old Louis of Orléans, who was his second cousin once removed and the husband of Charles's sister Joan. 
Following his accession, Louis had his childless marriage to Joan annulled by the Pope and married Charles's widow, Anne, Duchess of Brittany. The couple went on to have two surviving daughters, Claude, who'd become Queen Claude as Queen Consort of Francis I, and Renée, Duchess of Ferrara. Anne of Brittany died in January 1514, and in October 1514, 52-year-old Louis married 18-year-old Mary Tudor, sister of King Henry VIII. Unfortunately, the marriage lasted just under three months as Louis died on the 1st of January 1515. As Louis had no surviving legitimate sons, his throne passed to his son-in-law, Francis of Angoulême, who was also his first cousin once removed. Louis's widow went on to secretly marry Charles Brandon, Duke of Suffolk, her brother's best friend. And now the 8th of April. On the 8th of April, 1608, in the reign of King James I, Magdalene Brown, nay Dacre, Viscountess Montague and patron of Roman Catholics, died at battle in East Sussex following a stroke she'd suffered in January 1608. She was buried at Midhurst. Here are some facts about this Tudor lady, and I'm going to call her Magdalene, as I'm assuming it was pronounced as Magdalene because of Mary Magdalene, rather than Magdalene, like the Oxford College. In the contemporary sources, it's always spelt with the G as Magdalene, rather than being spelt phonetically like Magdalene. Oxford College seems to be a little bit of a strange one like that. Magdalene was born in 1538, and she was the daughter of William Dacre, 3rd Baron Dacre of Gilsland, and his wife, Elizabeth Talbot, daughter of George Talbot, 4th Earl of Shrewsbury. She grew up at Naworth Castle in Cumberland, leaving there at the age of 13 to join the household of her older sister, Anne, Countess of Bedford. In 1554, at the age of 16, Magdalene became a maid of honour to Queen Mary I and attended her at her wedding to Philip of Spain. In 1556, when she was 18, she became the second wife of Anthony Brown, first Viscount Montague. Their wedding was attended by Queen Mary I. They went on to have eight children, five sons and three daughters. Magdalene's married life was spent at her husband's properties, Battle Abbey, Cowdray House and Montague House. Magdalene had been brought up a Catholic and her husband was also a staunch Catholic. He served Mary I by being one of three ambassadors who helped negotiate England's return to the Catholic fold. Even though she was Catholic, Magdalene had a good relationship with Elizabeth I, following her and her husband's declaration that they would be loyal to the Queen if the Pope invaded or caused trouble. Their properties, however, were known as Catholic centres. I apologise for the sound. It's uh, the heavens have just opened and it's just started raining as I'm recording. When the Queen visited the Montagues in 1591, they kept their priests hidden. Montague died in 1592 and Magdalene carried on running a household that was predominantly Catholic. Her property at Battle was known as Little Rome by the local Protestants and she kept three priests there one of whom was Thomas More, great-grandson of Sir Thomas More. Magdalene used Battle Abbey and Montague House as safe houses for Catholic priests coming from the continent. 
Luckily, many of the local law enforcers were Catholics, so Magdalene managed to avoid getting into trouble until 1599, when her London property was searched, and again following the gunpowder plot. Magdalene suffered a stroke on the 21st of January 1608 and never recovered, dying at battle on the 8th of April. She was survived by her children, Sir George Brown, Sir Henry Brown, Elizabeth Dormer and Jane Lakin, as well as her grandchildren. Archpriest George Burkhead said of Magdalene that she was a great mother in Israel and the priests everywhere did extol her as the worthy patroness of the holy faith and the singular ornament of the Catholic religion in England. And Richard Smith, her confessor, wrote a biography of her, Life of the Most Honourable and Virtuous Lady, the Lady Magdalene Viscountess Montague, with chapters on her excellent humility, notable chastity, singular patience, prompt obedience, liberality towards others, notable piety towards God, and her zeal and constancy in supporting and professing the Catholic faith. That's it for today, but in part two, I'll be talking about why a Pope branded Cardinal Pole a heretic and took away his legatine powers. I'll be introducing you to a sea captain named Drake, but not Sir Francis Drake, and telling you about a baron who was involved with the Ridolfi plot, but he managed to keep his head. So do join me for that. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to subscribe so that you can enjoy podcasts on a daily basis. Thank you.